mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 12. We're going to be beginning this week again in verse 38. Now, I know we covered 38 through 40 last week, but I'm going to go ahead and cover it again. I really would like to bring it back in as a way of dovetailing and, and just to make, make us uh, receive the point, maybe just a little bit more uh, in, in, in what's going on here. So let's just read. Um, well, let's do a little introduction. We're, we're coming to the end of the week of questioning. If you'll remember, Jesus come into Jerusalem on the 10th of Nisan. Uh, we call it Palm Sunday. He enters into Jerusalem. He, he scourges the temple. And then as the Lamb of God that was just chosen by the people when they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now. He goes, he goes, and they begin to question him and inspect him. And if you remember, we received the last question. So we're probably getting really close to the uh, uh, 14th in Nisan on the night when he's going to end up being arrested and, and crucified. And the last question really was a um, scribe who came to him and asked him what was the first commandment. And Jesus went further. He said to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. Which, which it's easy to say what love is, but what about how you treat your neighbor? Are you treating your neighbor the way that you want to be treated? Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Because see, none of us have a problem with self-love. Self-love is a problem, but none of us have a problem with it because it's the sin nature. Everything that we do, we want it to be done for us because we love ourselves. So everything needs to be perfect for us, which is self-love. But Christ came and died. That's selfless love. It's a love that's selfless and gave itself away so that others could be right with God, could come back to the family of God. And so we have to really understand that when we begin to look at God first and His truth, it, it opens our eyes to the lies that we're living in self-love, in worldly, earthly, central, demonic love. And then we can begin to say, okay, Lord, this is who you are. This is who I should be because you're conforming me into your image. And then you begin to practice it with your heart by loving your neighbor. And, and, and it's obvious how you treat your neighbor if it's a selfish love, if it's only for me, what can I get from them, then you're not looking to God. You're not in the word prayer and fellowship. You're not surrendering to the love who came to us to save us from ourselves. However, if you begin to die to self 
and you have a selfless love that begins to put others first, it's worried about the soul of others, it's worried about winning souls and discipling souls, then we know that that person is looking upward. He's getting his vertical relationship right first, seeking first the kingdom of God, and then all the horizontal, all these other things are added to you. And this is a very important thing when we start talking about love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. See, we want to question God's word, but we're not questioning our own motives. We're not questioning our own selfish love. We want to always question God's word. Everybody does. Oh, is that really what I need to do to go to heaven? Is that really what I need to do? Did his word really say that? See, that's the sin nature. That's the devil. That's what Eve was confronted with by the devil. Did God really say? Did his word really mean that? And see, we've got this easy thing in our lives, because it's the sin nature, our flesh, our carnality, that we will quickly question God's Word. We'll quickly question the teaching of God's Word. We'll quickly question the Bible. But what we're supposed to be doing is upside down from that, questioning our hearts. Because the important thing is not, don't get me wrong, God's Word is the most important, but the important thing at the end of the day when you die, have you been examining your heart? Have you been examining your motives? Have you been questioning your love and the way you're supposed to be selfless and be allowing the Holy Spirit to change you? See, that's the most important question. But if the devil can keep us looking at each other and, and, and accusing each other and divided in envy and jealousy and never allowing the Word of God to be a perfect law of liberty that looks into our heart, he deceives us. And we never become like God. We never walk into salvation. What we do is we pretend. And we play. And we seem to be pious. But we're just like these same people here that we just read about. I didn't read it, did I? Let me read it to you. Then he said to them, in his doctrine, in his teaching, beware. There's a warning here. Beware of the scribes. It's verse 38, chapter 12. Who desire, who love, the word is love in the King James, to go around in long robes. They like to dress up. They love greetings. They want to be important in the marketplaces. The best seats in the synagogues. They want to be noticed. They want to set up front. And the best places at feast. Where the food's at who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Verse 41. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury and many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which makes a quadrant's. So he called his disciples to himself and he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of the poverty put in, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Father, we pray that you would open our hearts to receive with meekness your implanted word and that you would save our souls. 
Thank you for your son, Jesus' blood. Thank you for covering us. Thank you for bringing us back into your family. But now, Lord, we pray that you would make us more like you with your living word. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, he's teaching doctrine, verse 38. And he says, beware. Beware, it means, it means to take a long look at, to regard, to take heed. Of what? Of what? The scribes and Pharisees, Matthew tells us, of those who are telling us what the word of God means, of those who are interpreting the Old Testament to them. He is telling them to beware. Why? Because they're doing it for their own bellies. Look at, look at this is what Paul says in Philippians. This is Mark the Evangelist. Let's look at Philippians chapter 3. We can tie these two together. Paul writing, uh, to the church in Philippi, in, in the region of Macedonia, look at 317. Brethren, and he's talking to the church, join, be at unity in following my example. And note those who walk, so walk, like his example, those who are living for the word of God, living to, to, to save souls, living to do the will of God, as you have us for a pattern. So in your walk, you should be looking for somebody who's living a godly life. If you have given your life to Christ, and you now have salvation, and you're a babe in Christ, and you're young, and you want to know how to live, you begin to look for people who are an example of godliness. Now listen, you can get that wrong sometimes. But I know I learned how to pray in a prayer meeting. I learned how to study the Bible in a Bible study. I learned how to be equipped to be a man of God in church. But if you are looking every place else for these things, you're not going to find them. The world doesn't contain them. It has to be in the family of God with the people of God. For many walk, walk is always how you're living. You're looking for those who live this way. For many live or walk of whom I have told you often, so he was always warning them, and now tell you even weeping. He wasn't happy about telling them truth. He wasn't happy about pointing out those who were false. But he had to do it. A good shepherd is always going to warn of falseness, always going to warn of danger. Even Jesus right now is saying, beware of outward pretenses. Beware of those who act and never do. They can damage you. He's weeping about it. He's crying because he wants, just like God, for people to live for Jesus. That they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Look at this. Enemies whose end is destruction. They're going to be destroyed in hellfire. Whose God is what? Their belly. Their own carnality. Their own flesh. Their own wants. I want everything my way. See, and that's not the selfless love. It's selfish. Your belly. My desires. My ways. What I want always is not the cross. And that's not the people you want to watch. And whose glory is in their shame. Who set their mind. Notice where their mind's at. It's on earthly things. It's on physical, material, not on souls of man and on godly things. And why should it be on godly things and heavenward? For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait. What should we be doing while we're going to seek souls and we're, and we're watching who walks and we're trying to learn how to be saints? 
we should be eagerly waiting for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's he going to do? He will transform our lowly body. This is the flesh that hangs on that we need to put in the grave, that it may be conformed, changed into his glorious body, just like his, glorified according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things. How much is all? To himself. One day he's coming to get us. But our focus has to be heavenward. Our focus has to be on his agenda. Our focus cannot be on man. If our, if our hearts is focused on man and what man is doing, then our hearts will stay earthly, sensual, demonic, carnal, fleshly. So he says to them, he said, beware of these scribes because they love, that's the word there, they desire in King, New King James, and it's their option, it's what they've determined to do. They've chosen this, they prefer it, they're inclined to do it. Listen to me, listen, all of us have a sin nature that is inclined to want all of these things. It's called selfishness. And there's no good self except dead to self in the body of Christ. Because it's what Jesus did in his selflessness. He took off his heavenly garments and he came down and became flesh. And he died for us. And if we're being conformed into that image and being that example, then we have to learn to be selfless also, not selfish. Selfish is easy. Selfish is real easy. Selfless is the hard one because we have to die to self. But make no mistake, that's what we're called to do. And it's just like with children. You're trying to train their heart. And God's trying to train us as his children. He's trying to train our hearts to listen, to obey, to follow. And you have to die to self. Or if you just go headlong in to always wanting what you want in a selfish way, what's going to happen? You're going to always want what you want and be mad when you don't get it. You're going to blame somebody else just like Adam did. He said, it's that woman you gave me. What did he say? It's the devil that made me do it. No, it's because you refuse to choose and prefer God and life over death. It's a choice. God's not sending nobody to hell. Our own choices now is what sends people to hell. Our own desires now when we've been given clear truth. And then we have to make a decision. God's not sending anybody to hell. Everybody will choose heaven or hell. It's set before us, life or death. Choose you this day whom you shall serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord our God. So he says, beware, take heed to the scribes, Pharisees in Matthew, who love to go around in long robes. See, clothing has nothing to do with it. Outward appearance has nothing to do with it. We're looking at the heart. They love the greetings in the marketplaces. How you doing? How you doing? I'm doing good. I fasted 10 times this week. Really? They love to do this. The best seats in the synagogues, which were right up front where the scrolls were at, they'd take notice. James chapter 2 talks about this a little bit, where we even sometimes choose that preferentially, and we place people in places where they are close by, where they're in proximity to us. We drop names. We do things to make it look like we're somebody we're not. They like the best places at the feast. You know, of course, because at the feast, there's always a guest of honor. 
There's always people that are up closer are the ones that are more important to the one throwing the feast. And they devour widows' houses. Widow is a husbandless person. Widow in, in this sense means it has the idea of a deficiency. There's something missing. A widow has a lack of a husband. But this is talking about like orphans. They have no family. This is talking about a deficiency. It's taking advantage of somebody. And in this case, they specifically mentioned the widows. And what they would do, they would come along and act like they were the real religious people. They're the pious. I've got my long robe on. I know your husband's died. And your best bet would be to put all your money in the synagogue so God will take care of you. Your best bet would be to give everything. And that's what they would do. You would invest it in my ministry. And that's what you see everywhere. You see it on TV. You see the upside down thinking where they tell you that if you give to their ministry, God's going to give back to you. Really? If I give you money, God's going to give back to me? How about if I give the money to God? If I really want something, why would I use you as the middleman? How about if I give my heart to God? See, that's what God wants. God's not broke. He doesn't want our money. Do you think God wants... You can't do any... You can't give anything to God. Except for an empty vessel. Your worship, your praise. You can't give anything to Him. He's gave everything to us. He died and poured out His blood. There's absolutely nothing you can give. And anything that you think you're giving to God, that becomes a fleshly work that stinks to Him. The only thing you can do is by faith believe that his son Jesus already did it all for you. And then realize that grace and go, wow, what kind of love is this? This is amazing. That there was nothing I can do, yet he came and did it all. And all I have to do is believe that. But if I believe that, Something has to happen because when I believe that in my heart, God himself, the Holy Spirit, comes and makes his home in my heart. And his whole desire is what? To bring us back into his family, to make us all like his son, to, so that we would be those who walk according to him. And so then if our heart is not set in that direction, what's going on? Either the Holy Spirit isn't there and we really don't believe or we're just choosing to continue to be selfish and carnal and physical and keep doing what we want to do instead of doing what he's called us to do. See, because if we've been bought by the blood of Jesus, we're not our own anymore. We belong to him. If we've been purchased by the blood, now we belong to him for his good pleasure, for his good purposes. Notice what he says about these that pretend and, and play and, and, and they do all these things. And they're supposed to be the example. That's why I read Philippians 3.19 to you. Paul is inviting, God is inviting us as the people of God who say they know God to be an example to other people. And these are supposed to be the example and all they're doing is trying to feed their own belly. All they're doing is trying to take care of themselves. And they've been deceived. Their, their, their nature is no different than yours and mine, but they've been deceived. They've believed a lie, and it's become their heart. And God says, I'm the great physician. I can do heart surgery on you if you will listen and obey. And part of that is confessing when we're not. 
So he says they will receive the greater damnation. The greater judgment. And we don't want to go there at all. Wait a minute. These are the ones running the synagogue. These are the rulers. These are the ones interpreting the Old Testament law. And they are going to be damned? Wow. Who can enter the kingdom of God? Anybody that believes in Jesus. But you can't do it in the flesh. Now this, it's interesting how this evangelist Mark brings this in by the power of the Holy Spirit. The very next thing is what most pastors would teach as tithing. But pay attention, pay attention, because you ain't going to hear me talk about tithing very much at all. Verse 41. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury and many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which makes a quadrant. And two mites is like an eighth of a penny. It's a little copper coin. And a quadrant is a Roman coin because he's speaking to a Gentile uh, audience. So he wanted them to make sure they understood it. So he called his disciples to himself, which is what God is busy doing right now. He's saving souls and calling disciples to himself. Those that would grow and learn. A disciple means a learner and a follower. or Somebody that's in the way with him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He always calls his disciples to him. And he said to them, Assuredly, verily, I say to you, This is trustworthy. This is, this is truth, Jesus would say, That this poor widow, this beggar, this one that's deficient of a husband, has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Now listen to me. Listen. Some give and they give a lot. Some do and they do a lot. And it, it's out of their abundance, though. The abundance means their excess. They have more to give from. They have enough to spare. It's in quantity and quality, uh, the word means. But let's put it back in context. Jesus just told them that the greatest commandment was loving the Lord your God with all. We're going to get a calculator someday and find out how much all is. All your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then we see a widow come and give all. See, that's where you train your heart. You're giving all. So if you're supposed to, in perfect worship and holiness, which none of us can do because Jesus did it for us already. He already loved the Lord our God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when we believe in him, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become his righteousness, which is loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's your position when you believe. This woman just did it in reality, which is where God wants to take your heart and my heart, is to begin to practice doing it. If you never start giving, you're never going to practice giving all. Listen, and then we have this argument in the church. Well, should I give 10% or should I give less? Or what is the percent? 10%, 10 tithe means a tenth. Got nothing to do with tithing, really, if you really want to get down to it. Because God wants all of it. 
all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, everything. So when we, st we started a tent, there's a problem. But see, he don't need none of it. He's doing that for you. You can't change God, help God, or, or hurt God by what you do. But if you start with your heart in giving, then he trains you that he's already providing everything because you have an inheritance. You already own everything because you're his kid. You've got a, you're a joint heir with Christ. You're never going to do without. It's not about helping God. It's about helping your heart to learn, to be trained, to give of your time, your talent, and your treasure. It's pure, unadulterated worship when you say, well, I would love to be doing this with my time, but I'm going to do this for God anyway. I'm going to give my time to God. See, it's selfless to give it to God and his people. It's selfish to go give it to myself. Listen to this. You know how many hours are in the week? 168? So. Somebody did know it. I had to figure it out. 168 hours in the week. Normal church service, about an hour and a half. I do go a little bit long. I'll help you with that. Should be, it should be an hour and a half is what we typically about a half hour of worship and then a 50 to 60 minutes of teaching. Right? So think about if you're giving your time to God and you go to church service in a month, that's about six hours. Right? You know how many hours in a month? 672. You know what happens if you take those six hours from 672? Now, how many hours are left for you? Six, six, six. Plus the six worship. That's exactly how many hours are left. Six, 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 the number of man, the number of the beast. So all of that time is your selfish time. If all you do in your life is go to dress up, to present, to pretense, to act like you're a Christian on Sunday morning, and all the rest is yours. That's not the way God wants your time, your talent, or your money. He wants all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So when you're working, you're still God's. You might be earning money on a job, but you're doing it to the glory of God. And you're supposed to be finding out what your gifts, talents, and abilities are so you can be ministering those to other people even on the job because you belong to God. And you're training your heart. When you ignore God all week long and all you do is those six hours, you're living like a natural man, carnal. You're, it's, not, it's like you're not even saved. Doesn't mean you're not saved. That's not what I'm saying. But there's no way to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no way to go until you say, I'm going to give everything. Like this lady did, all of her livelihood. Jesus was watching. Jesus saw it. He sat opposite the treasury on the other side. And this is good. This is good. Listen to me. It's good to know that God is watching when we give our time, talent, and treasures. He's watching. Look what I did, Lord. He's not watching that way. He's watching because he wants your whole heart. He's watching because he's already provided everything for you. He's watching because he's wanting to, to, to encourage you. Give more. Give all. 
See, nobody else can watch you that way. Nobody else can understand you that way. So you might give a great big check for $200,000. Right? Not you, but not me. But Listen, to my point is I said a big number on purpose. Because some people will and they think that now God's impressed with me. But he's looking at their heart and he's going, you got two million left. That was out of your abundance. That didn't hurt you a bit. That wasn't sacrificial. See, his life was sacrificial. He already had everything and he gave all. He poured out his blood, which is the life. See, that's sacrificial. Giving 10% is not sacrificial. And I'm not wanting you to give. You know what? If you think you need to give to come here to church, give it to somebody else. But don't miss the heart of worship. God wants you to give 100%. God doesn't want you to, to give 10% and stay there. He wants you to work your way to where you can actually trust him to give everything, all of your livelihood. And you know what? This is why he says it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. See, this lady had two little copper coins. So she's not trusting in them because they won't do nothing for her. She's trusting in God because he's already given her everything. He can do everything for her. And so the more you have, the more you start to trust in what you have. And it's not about what you have unless it's salvation. You want to trust in God. God wants your heart. The world wants to deceive you into trusting in what you have. And they want you to look and go, well, they dress nice. They drive a nice car. Oh, wow, they got a good job. Hey, they got a PhD behind their name. Man, they've got it going on. God must love them. No, it has nothing to do with spirituality. Because you can make pretense. And God would stand and watch and say, I see their heart, which is what he wants. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow all the issues of life. It's the heart that he wants, not your actions, not your money, not your talent. Not, listen, he gave you your talent. He gave you your breath. He allowed you to get any of the money that you got. If it's big or small or little or none, he allowed you to eat and breathe today. He doesn't need any of it. He's wanting you to learn to give it all to him and trust him completely with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's what he says this lady did. So he wasn't watching what she gave. He was watching how she gave. Are you with me here? How she gave. She gave all. They gave out of their abundance. Uh, I can spare a couple hundred. Uh, I like God. I'll give him a couple hundred. People really think that's good. So I give a couple hundred. I know all they're giving is two or three dollars. Yeah, listen to me. That's got nothing to do with anything because it's your heart that's giving. Your heart writes the $200 check and then you go and spend the other $2,000 on yourself. Selfish. If it's not being used to promote the kingdom of God, it can still be totally selfish. It can still be totally just for you. And it's training your heart that I've already been pious and I've already been good and I've already impressed God and I did my little share, but now I can go do what I want. No, you're in the family of God. No, everything you have, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, all of your time, talents, and treasures. And God just wants you to begin to release it. I always tell the, I always tell the uh, uh, testimony of when I first got a job where I work at now, and, and I was getting ready to go to Michigan to visit my mother-in-law so my wife could see her mom. And, and um, 
not a mother-in-law joke. It's all right. Rest. Rest, guys. Calm down. But I'm getting ready to drive this old clunkard I got to Michigan. And my boss said, oh, you're going to Michigan this week? I go, yeah. He goes, he goes you going to drive your car? And I go, yeah. He goes, well, take mine. And I go, what? And my eyes are starting to tear up. And I turn and look. And he goes, I just hold on to everything like this. And he had his hands wide open when I looked. Because it all belongs to God. And then I tell the other testimony of when I thought that I needed to provide for my family, and I went out and swiped a credit card and bought a van. And I said, well, I'll just, yeah, I could be like my boss. I'll hold on to my stuff like this. And I let somebody drive it to South Carolina, and that's where it died at. I was like, ooh, big lesson. But did it belong to me or God? It was God's. He can let it die wherever he wants. And he's always provided. But not when I go out and swipe a card and I try to do it on my own and I say, I can handle this. He provides when I trust him. Listen to me. God wants your heart, not your money. And anybody preaching anything else is preaching upside down theology. They're preaching upside down culturanity to build their own little kingdom and make pretense. Now, should you tithe? Should you give? Yes, every bit of it. Ask God. Pray. Ask God how much I'm supposed to be given this week, how much I'm supposed to do. But it goes also with your time, because I just gave you the numbers, 672 hours in a month. If you only give six hours a month, it's 666 left over, all yours. Talents, your gifts and abilities, you're supposed to be honing them and working on them. God gives those graces to you. They're free. He gives them because you're in his kingdom. And he gives you these, this, this gifting. And it's called the graces of God. Spiritual graces. Spiritual gifting. But that word's not even in the text when you look at it in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. It's a grace of God. It's a gift of God that you give back to him and you learn to use it. It's Christ. We're learning to walk in Christ and be an example for others. And then, of course, your time, your talents, and your treasures. Should you give? Oh, my goodness. What, I, I put this in my notes, and they're back up there somewhere. When you fast, what are you doing? When I fast and I don't eat, see, America don't do that anymore, so I just need to be careful about that, right? Oh, fasting. Oh, a, see, you, what you do is you say to my body, listen, I'm not going to survive off material stuff. I'm not going to trust in material stuff. I'm going to deprive my body of appetite so that I can trust in God and teach my flesh that I don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And it's the same thing with giving of your money. God wants you to give so that you can teach yourself that he's the one that provides, and that money wasn't going to help you anyway. Think about it. If you give 10%, he lets you spend 90%, and it's his anyway. Your job can dry up tomorrow. It's his anyway. I always say it, and my boss knows it. He doesn't pay me. He's a great Christian man, but he doesn't pay me. God pays me. God has allowed him to be in business for 36 years. God is the one that provides, and we do well as Christians to train our heart to understand that. God uses people who are walking as examples, but those examples are tainted and torn up and messed up with flesh also. And our eyes should not be on other people. It should be on Jesus first. 
Building that personal love relationship. When your eyes are just on the man, what do they do? They get the greater condemnation because you're trusting in man instead of God. You're looking at man and you're only coming up to their bar, but God's bar is way up here. God's bar is perfection. That's why Christ had to do it for us. So Jesus wasn't looking at how much the lady gave. He was looking at how she gave selflessly. She gave all of her livelihood. She gave everything, the place that you and I need to be because it's when your whole heart is trusting God because you know by faith that he's going to take care of you regardless. And if he doesn't, then you still trust God. You go, i got to pay my rent. I don't have any money. He didn't pay it. Well, he must have wanted you to be homeless for a minute. What? God wanted me to be homeless? I don't want to serve that God. Really? You'd rather serve death? See, the eternal consequences are so much greater. God knows what all of us need in our heart to surrender to him. No matter what age you are, no matter how long you've been in the body of Christ, God is still working on you because none of us are perfected yet. And, and in many cases, we've been in the church 30, 40 years, and we have no idea what God even requires of us. We've been in the church for so long, and we're still doing the same thing we were doing years ago instead of growing and going Instead of learning to, to note those who so walk and follow them and learn to, to let our hearts go toward God. Listen, you've got two choices here. Listen, God is watching how we give of our time, talent, and treasure. And, and, and when you give one, when you, let's, let's just take money. We'll start with money. You give one month and then the next six months you say, nah, I want to pay for a new car. Listen to me. It's not about your works. It's about the fact that you're not training your heart to be consistently doing what God has called you to do and worshiping him. Same thing with your, with your talents. You go out and you got a gift of evangelism and you share with one person and you walk around for three months bragging about that one person you shared with while everybody else passes you by. There's no consistency in training your heart. It's the same thing with parenting a little child. If you don't do the same thing every time and you let the kid get away with it a whole bunch of times and then you want to say, you snap to it. It's going to be proved out in their actions that they don't listen to you because they've not been listening to you. You haven't been consistent in letting them know that there's going to be discipline. You haven't been consistent in your worship. So it's only one act of piety. It's not a heart. It's an action because you know that you should do it. God wants our hearts. He doesn't need anything from us. Listen, God's not broke. Don't let anybody tell you he is. Everything that he does is for your salvation, for your deliverance from our selfish, carnal nature. He wants to set you free to give to him. So he's watching this lady, and he sees the rich putting out of their abundance. They've got a bunch left over. How hard is it? Listen to me. This is really simple. It's not. It's, it, this is about worship. It's a lifestyle. Everything that you do. It's not hard if, if, if I make $2,000 a month and I give $200 to the church and I still have money left over to put in savings. It, it costs me nothing to do that. It was just a religious practice. 
Now, is it good for the church? Well, maybe the church can use that money to go out and reach other people. But the church is never broke. I ain't getting no amens here. No, the church is never broke. And if we can't pay the mortgage, you know what? Maybe God doesn't want us to be in this building because the church is the people. Building stained glass windows and fancy steeples is nothing to do with the kingdom of God. God wants the heart. This is, his, this is his place. It's a temple. It's a sanctuary. It's a place where he dwells. It's a place where we worship together. It's not about buildings. That's the culture. Once again, it always goes back to the heart. I'm amazed that for going on 14 years, with, with 10, sometimes 20, sometimes 30 people, God has kept us in ministry over here. But I'm also amazed that he's kept me in the ministry. And it's not about what I do. It's about who he is and what he's doing in our hearts. Each one individually. And then as a body, as we put all of our talents, time, and treasure together, that's why we're supposed to be in fellowship. It's so that we're all doing it together, becoming of one mind and one heart, and going to the masses to tell them what God is showing us. Because unity is the only way that's going to happen. But everybody um, kind of make up their own little religion and their own little thing where this is what the standard I've set in my heart and this is what I'm giving, this is what I'm doing, this is where I'm going, and this standard is okay. And that's deception. Here's the standard right here. 66 books by 40 authors. The standard is God. The example is Christ. And he says the greatest commandment, the first commandment we all need to keep, is to give all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love our neighbor as ourselves. Well, to love God. And then to love um, others. And then he says that these leaders, they love, instead of loving God and loving their neighbors, they love to go around in long robes, Greetings in the marketplaces, best seats. See how this is, is promoting self? It's not doing anything to promote God. And it says theirs will be the greater condemnation. And so when he sees this widow, which listen to me, God knows whether we give out of our abundance. God knows whether we give of our time, talent, and treasure till it hurts. God knows when it's sacrificial. God knows when it's easy. God knows when it doesn't bother us a bit. To give. And it's the training of our heart in worship. It's an act of worship and adoration. I am not preaching about tithing, so please don't hear me teaching about tithing. I'm preaching about you worshiping God. And you surrendering all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And realizing that everything that you have and are and will ever be belongs to God. And that's what he wants to show you. That you can't work your way into this. It's by trust, confident trust, faith in his provision. And then if you actually have that confident trust, it's in confident faith and a consistency in it that he will make you like him in selfless love if you begin to make the choice and choose and prefer to give yourself away. And I would personally tell you that it's more important that you give your heart away than it is your money away. I was trying to think of the guy's name just off the top of my head. The guy that owned Heinz, started Heinz Ketchup Company. I forget his name. 
But when he died, he was given 90% of his income to God. And I'm sure he was shooting for 100%. See, there's a starting line of just giving. It's not about a percentage because it's got to get to all. Every bit, the whole, it's God's. And you can take a company, you can take you can take a, a, a leaf raking job, and you can take it and do it to the glory of God, and you can give it all to God. It doesn't matter what it is. The point is, is that in America, like we're at some carnival or an entertainment club, we live in a carnal way, and we give our six hours and our and our six dollars, and we think we're okay. And that's not the standard of God. The standard is Christ who gave all. The standard is Christ who laid down everything that he was for us. And that's the example Paul was trying to follow. And he encouraged us to follow and not to sit around and just satisfy our belly. And in that, that was an analogy for our flesh and our lust and and our desires and keeping up with the Joneses. That's all religion. I was going to take you over. I'm not going to now. For sake of time, oh my goodness, I wanted to over to First uh, Corinthians chapter three. Yeah, let's go there. We'll, we'll get you guys off of the six 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 by going there, and then we'll be over the hour teaching, and then you'll go down into the lower six hundred numbers, like six fifty six. All better, huh? All better now. Explain that away. That was a pretty good selfish way to keep teaching, wasn't it? No, and I actually have on here to start in 1 Corinthians 2 and go all the way through 4, 1, and 2. Because there's a really big thing there in 4, 1, and 2. This is all that God desires out of you is faithfulness. Just to trust Him. He didn't desire your money. He didn't desire your talent, your time, anything. He just wants you to be faithful to trust Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Nobody's called to be smart, brilliant, tough, mean, tall, short. Nobody's called to be anything but faithful. And where does our faith be placed? It's placed in His provision. And can you be rich? Yes, if if you are trusting God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and He gives you money like He did Mr. Hines, for sake of a better name, uh, then, then, then you just honor Him with it. The point is, is you're not worried about building a kingdom on earth and saving up a bunch of money. You're more worried about your citizenship in heaven and doing the glory of God because he always gives more to the one who's being faithful. He'll always take care of you. But if you're being unfaithful, he's not going to give you more because he knows you're going to be unfaithful with it. You're going to spend it on your own belly. You're going to use it on your own flesh. But he wants you to start out with, listen, here it is again. If you have one dollar, it's easy to give a dime. If you have $100, now you start to think about the bills and the pressure, and you go, okay, I'll give $10. But now you have $100,000. Gets a little harder, doesn't it? I mean, it even gets hard to do the math. What is the 10% of $100,000? I know. I was letting everybody rest and marinate. See, because think about that. You just said, what, I wrote a check for $1,000 to the church? No, it's to God for your heart. It's not even to the church. 
If God can't keep a church going, then your money isn't going to help any. It's for your heart. It's for your worship. Because it wants you to release your heart from hanging on to stuff that's only going to burn and perish. And we hang on to it in a selfish way like, boy, I know how to spend that $1,000 a little bit better than just giving it to the church. Really? You're missing the worship. You're missing the part that you're releasing your heart to give all to God. And like I said, if you don't feel comfortable giving us any money, time or talent, give it somewhere or your heart is going to be selfish and it's going to be destroyed. Give it somewhere. If it's your time, talent, give it somewhere. Because if not, you're going to always be clinging to it and worshiping it instead of worshiping God. So anyway, uh, you should read uh, 1 Corinthians 2, which he talks and tells us that it's all spiritual. It's a spiritual book. It can't be discerned. Spiritual life, it can't be discerned with a carnal mind. If you want to know what's going on in our society right now, so many people trying to discern what's going on with carnal minds and they come up with what's called earthly, central, demonic wisdom and they believe the lie, they believe the fear, they believe what the world is telling them and they're being led astray by one world government which is no other, none other than Nimrod and the devil. It, it goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel and people have been babbling and believing that nonsense since the beginning of time, since Eve believed it. It's Babel. God gives you clarity spiritually. God gives you wisdom heavenly. God gives you an ability in His kingdom because you're an inheritor of it through Christ. I'm going to go really quickly. Chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, fleshly, as to babes in Christ. Listen, this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth because they're all fighting, they're all pointing, they're all living just like they never received the Spirit of God and they're listening to the earthly, central, demonic wisdom and not to the relationship that you build and get wisdom from God. I fed you with milk, which is what you do to babies and not solid food, but, but for until now you're not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. You're still fleshly. For where there is envy, strife, and divisions among you, you are not. You are. Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men, just like the old nature? See, there's unity in the spirit. If every one of us have the spirit of God, and every one of us are looking to do the will of God, then the spirit of God is going to put us all on the same page. That's why you should never fight with your spouse about decisions. Because if God really wants you to make that decision instantly, he'll put both of you on the same page. If you're looking to do God's will instead of your will. But honey, I really think we should buy this $60,000 car. Uh, no, I think we should keep driving what we got. Uh, honey, see now do you want God's will or do you want your will? Do you want selfish or selfless love? Do you want to pray about it or do you just want to keep, keep harping about what you want to do? Which is not a godly life. If it's about what you want to do, it's probably not a godly life unless it concerns souls. And then you still have to wait for God in his timing. Strife, that's flesh. There's no strife in the Godhead. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they all agree as one. And they're all doing the same work of redemption. For when, verse 4, for when one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? 
He's going to go on to explain it. It doesn't matter who's teaching you. It's, it, there's nobody needs a teacher except for the Spirit of God. Who then is Paul? Uh, nobody. And who is Apollos? Uh, nobody. They are servants of the Most High God. They are ministers through whom you believed. They, these are the evangelists that shared the truth first. Then you believed in God. You received the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit begins to teach you as the Lord gave to each one. See, they were ministering their gifts. I planted, Paul says he planted the seed. They, came, they got saved. Here comes Apollos from over uh, in Ephesus. And he watered. He gave them some more truth. But God gave the increase. Because nobody can grow and go unless you're listening to God. Unless you're looking to God. Unless you're looking to give your whole heart to God. You can speak spiritual truth to people until you're blue in the face. And if they're not looking to be pleasing to God. And they're quenching the Holy Spirit. They are never going to increase one iota. If they choose and prefer to listen to the world and prefer to listen to earthly central demonic wisdom, there they shall remain in death. Many, Christ died for all, but many will reject it. Many who come to faith in Christ, Christ wants them all to be disciples. Many will reject it in place of their self, following self and doing what they want to do. But notice they're all working together. So then neither he who plants, Paul, is anything, and he who waters, Apollos, but God who gave the increase. He's the one that does it. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. So Paul and Apollos are the same body of Christ and the same family led by the same spirit with the same gospel. They're one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. We are rewarded. We don't work for salvation, but we receive rewards by what we do after our salvation. For we are God's fellow workers. That's pretty easy to understand. Let me put it in King James language. We are God's husbandry. Hmm? Husbandry. I never even heard the word before until I looked into King James. It means we're married to God. It means we're his farm, his farmer, his workers. We're, we belong to God. Listen, and listen to me. This is really easy. You can work on God's farm or the devil's farm. You can be on God's plantation or the devil's plantation. You've got to be in one of the houses. You've got to be on one of the farms. You've got to be married to somebody. Listen to me, it's pretty serious stuff because you're planting seeds somehow in how you walk and how you're the example. And if you're not planting seeds with God's spirit according to his farm and his husbandry because he's married to you, then you're planting them for the devil. And you will lead people and the greater condemnation will come to those who are planting for the devil but pretending they're living for God. It's that simple. That's what he's saying here. Whose plantation are you going to be on? For we are God's husbandry. You are God's field. That's where he's planting seeds. It's the harvest field. You are God's building. That's your house, your spiritual house. According to the grace, this is what Paul says he did. According to the gifting or the graces of God, which was given, though it was gifted, given to him. He didn't create it. He didn't get intelligent. 
As a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. Listen, take heed. Beware, Jesus said, of who you listen to and what you believe about the word of God. And because you can be building on the foundation of Jesus and be building all the way wrong by who you listen to. By not taking heed, by not being a Berean and saying, what am I doing? What am I listening to? You could be just like the nation of Israel who was listening to the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and they rejected Jesus. And they said that Jesus wasn't the Messiah and that this is not the way to live. And the church is dangerously there right now in America of telling everybody that we're supposed to be out in the streets with socialism and we're supposed to be out in the streets chasing the government. This is not our citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. The reason we would get involved in anything in the streets is to win souls and disciple saints. That's it. That's it. Therefore, I vote for President Trump. Oh, yeah. Because he's going to keep me free, and it's not going to be communist. And in a communist country, there is no God has nothing to do with who Trump is. It has to do with he is not going to let them put me in prison for preaching the gospel. Wake up to it. You can either use earthly, central, demonic wisdom and believe their lies. But if you really looked at yourself in the mirror, you would know you're a lot like Trump. And you need to be like Jesus. All of us got shortcomings. And when you magnify them with a magnifying glass, they look really bad on somebody else. But when you look at his policies where he wants to get rid of killing babies, when you look at his policies where he wants to set the church free to go preach the gospel, he got rid of the Johnson Amendment that we never paid no attention to anyway, but he got rid of it. He got rid of all kinds of stuff. Whereas us basket of deplorables would be in prison right now. If he wasn't president. And if you don't believe that. You need to get on your face before God. And ask him. Because this ain't a game. The devil is wanting to take over. And rob, kill and destroy you of your salvation. He wants you to believe the lie. And follow the lie. And live in fear. And never tell anybody that Jesus saves. And if you study church history, we've been here before. And we're going there again. And when the fire comes, if your heart isn't ready, you'll follow. You'll follow the liar instead of God. If you don't begin to give your heart right now, when the real battle comes, you'll follow the lie. I guarantee you. I guarantee if you extrapolate the word of God in so many places, it'll prove that out. That if you don't train your heart, that's why you train children. So that when the car is flying by and you yell, stop, Johnny, he stops. And he doesn't run out in front of the car. But if you don't train him to listen to your voice, which is what we're listening to. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. If you don't train your child to hear your voice and understand that he has to stop right then, he's in front of the car. And it's too late. Because he's rebellious. His heart automatically doesn't want to listen. 
So Paul says he laid a foundation. That foundation is Christ. Either we're building on the rock or we build on sand. And, and Matthew 6 tells you if you build on the sand, the storm comes and it's going to wash away your whole house. But if you build on the rock, they come and they beat and, and, and they crash against the walls. And you stand because you're living for Jesus. Your heart's turned to God. Everything that you have, you're trying to give to God. Now, you are never going to get to all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But it's still the target. It's still the place you look. It's still the place you should be desiring. Every morning when you get up, you should hit your face before God. Oh, he's preaching that legalism now. No, this is how holiness works. This is how godliness works. You begin your day serving God. Because if you don't, when you get out into the marketplace and they say something to you, instead of showing them how to get to God, you show them your tall finger and you point to God. That's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. So there's a foundation that needs to be set. That's Christ. Many of the church has Christ as a foundation, but they're not building with Christ. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There's salvation in no other name. Nobody's coming to deliver. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Fire is a purifier. Listen to me. Listen to me, I want to do this a couple different ways because I believe that we've taught this wrong in the church and I'm not being mean to anybody. Those, there's, no, there's no division between gold, silver, and precious stones and wood, hay, and stubble. Those are all material goods. You cannot build the church or on the foundation of Jesus with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, or stubble. Now, I will tell you and I will grant you that if you put... Gold and silver and fire, it'll purify it. In fact, gold is deity and silver is redemption when you're looking at types in the Bible. Precious stones might stand for a crown. But he's saying with your heart focused on any of this down here, you cannot build on the foundation. It's spiritual, not carnal. It is spiritual, not material. You can't build a church with a lot of gold. You can't build a church with a lot of silver. You can't build it with precious stones or with wood, hay, and stubble. Now listen, because it's very deceptive. If you have a lot of money, a lot of silver, a lot of gold, a lot of precious stones, you can build a structure that looks nice, but it's still not godly. Fire might not burn it down, but it's still not being built upon the heart of Christ, the word, prayer, and fellowship, and surrender to His working. Just because it will stand longer doesn't mean that it is correct. Wood, hay, and stubble, obviously, if you teach bad doctrine, if you build with some wood, it's going to burn up quicker. But don't miss the analogy here because you know what? In the Old Testament, something that was not supposed to be permanent, what did God do? He took wood, which represents flesh. He wrapped it in gold and silver, and he built a tabernacle. But it was never supposed to last forever. It was a representation of our heavenly citizenship. It's a representation of heavenly things. So you use the money. You use the gold, the silver. You can use precious stones, wood, hay, and stuff. You can use all those supplies, but never make them the focus. The focus has to be on surrendering your heart to God. Giving all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength to God. 
Because it's spiritual. It's not carnal. It's not fleshly. And that's what he's saying to them. You're still carnal. I can't teach you spiritual things because you're still being selfish. And you're dividing and trying to conquer when you should be joining and trying to grow and go. So be careful. There's a lot of teaching out there. And, uh, of course, there's a lot of supplies to build with. But unless it's built with a right heart motivation for God, his kingdom, for salvation of souls and discipling souls, it's all going to burn up. It's all going to be tested by fire. Fire burns out the impurities. Fire will burn out the impurities in your life. When you suffer, what do you do? According to which plantation you're on. If you're on the devil's plantation, you run to whoever can fix your car. You run to whoever can fix your problem. But if you're on God's plantation, what do you run first? You run to God first. And then he tells you what to do about your car. He tells you what to do about your help. See, this is called trusting God with all your livelihood, with your two little mites, is when you always, you're training your heart to look to him first. That's the way it's supposed to be as kids grow up. When they get 40, they're still supposed to call mom and dad and say, what do you think? And then they make a grown-up decision. They don't have to follow mom and dad like mom and dad's their God, but they can seek counsel because mom and dad has always been pointing them and training them in the way they're supposed to go. But they still are responsible for their decisions. But we are too. We're stewards of those children. So he says, 14, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. In other words, you're, you're, if you're on the foundation and you believe in Christ, you're saved, you're positionally saved. But practically, you have to begin to work with God in his spirit, surrendering and doing his work. And it's going to become evident in the day of the Lord and judgment day what we were building on because the fire is going to burn everything and make all things new again. We have to go through fire. Do you? And then he says, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? Wait a minute. What does that have to do with it? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. He says it twice. You're God's. He bought you with the precious blood. And if you, listen listen to what the word, it says defiled and destroyed in that text. You know what? They're both the same word. In the, in, the, in, the, in the Greek, defiled and destroy are both 53, 51 in the Strong's, and it means to pine or waste. See, you've been given a great salvation. You've been given a great inheritance. You've been given a great life in God, a new chance to keep moving, and you can pine away and waste it. You can let it shrivel and wither and dry up by ignoring the Holy Spirit. You can be spoiled and ruined by chasing your own selfishness. These are words that it means. It means to corrupt self or defile and destroy. These are things that happen if you stay in your selfish heart on the devil's plantation. You say, I believed it. I believed it. Then there's no evidence of it. There's no change of it. There's no direction moving toward God in it with your heart. So your heart never gets trained to follow righteousness. And you continue to practice lawlessness. That's the choice that we make. But it says you'll be saved, but it'll all be burned up. And you'll get in smelling like smoke. Smell like you've been to hell already. 
Let no one deceive you is the next word, and we'll close this out. Let no one deceive you. 3.18 of 1 Corinthians. Listen, let no one deceive you. Don't be deceived by yourself. Self-deception is the greatest deception. When you believe you're okay and you believe you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, then you must not be reading the Bible. You must not be spending time in prayer and fellowship. Because if you're confronted with truth every day and it doesn't cause you to be uh, uh, in some way reverencing God and wanting to change and crying out to Him, then you have to question whether you're His. Don't let anybody deceive you. If anyone, notice it says himself, self is there. Don't, don't deceive self. Self is the enemy. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Listen, if you believe the earthly, central, demonic wisdom of this age, you're in trouble. You're deceiving yourself. We need God's wisdom. And James says in chapter 1, if anyone needs wisdom, ask God. He gives it all to everyone liberally and without reproach. But you have to follow. You can't go back to the earthly, central, demonic wisdom. It doesn't change your heart. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches... The wise in their own craftiness, they're getting ready to get trapped. They're rolling stones, and they're going to have them rolled back on them. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Their vain is, is uh, uh, they're empty, King James. They're vain. They're empty. The thoughts, they got all these plans, and they're plans against God, saying no to God. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Make sure you pay attention to this. This is your inheritance. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you become joint heirs with Christ. And what did he just say? Don't boast in men, in these teachers, because they're your teachers. They belong to the body of Christ. They're yours. For all things are yours, 22, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. Look at that. That's our inheritance. But who bought us? And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Doesn't stop with us. It goes up. But the important thing to know is, is that all is yours. So, everything you got is yours. All of us. Our time, our talents, our treasure. But we belong to God. And he says, it's, we got everything. We don't have to worry about anything. Why would you worry about your next meal when, when you own everything? And I could extrapolate on this for hours. But it all belongs to God because we belong to God. Because of Christ and his precious blood. Listen to me. Whose plantation are you going to live on? Whose seeds are you planting? Whose example are you following? God's not watching what you give. He's watching how you give. Is your heart being given over in a way where you're going to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And then love your neighbor as yourself. Begin by giving sacrificially, selflessly, just like our Savior did. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you're keeping an eye on us. You're watching us that you're everywhere keeping a watch on the evil and the good, and that you know how we give and when we give and what we give, and you know whether it cost us anything. Lord, we cry out for mercy. We cry out for grace. 
And we ask, Lord, that everything that we do would be done to your glory and that we would not deceive ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The Lord bless you. You too. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I?